Welcome to the First NSB Podcast. It is good to be with you today, Monday, January the 13th. And with me today are our wonderful gentlemen, Paul Sanders and Joel Kobosh. How are you guys today? Doing well? Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, it is a beautiful day in New Smyrna Beach, and uh, it's good to be with you folks. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. We want your feedback, so you can always send us a text message to 386-777-1417. Tell us what you think about the podcast. And if you haven't downloaded our church app, let me encourage you to do so. Lots of really good information about what's happening in the life of our church. You can pick up uh, sermons from previous weeks that you might have missed. And if you're tuning in today and you're looking for a church, we'd love to have you visit with us any Sunday, 9 o'clock or 10.30 a.m. Well, gentlemen, we have uh, talked about identifying a person, one person that we know in our family, one person in our community that doesn't know the Lord Jesus, is not a believer in Christ. And, and we've challenged our church family to really intentionally pray for that person and to seek to have a gospel conversation with them. And so just thought I would uh, take a moment for us to just talk about that. Who's your one? Um, how, how have you guys been doing with that? Have you guys identified someone that you can be praying for and that you can be seeking to share Christ with? Well, I think I mentioned last time, just a few of our neighbors in general. So I know it's not technically one person, but, uh, but just our, our neighbors in general, I think we've, we've slowly, like just even the other day we got to meet one and our, our dog actually got out. And so <laughs> through doing that. I uh, just had conversation with another one, so uh, it's it's obviously I think going to take time, but just just our neighbors in general being thinking about that and praying about it. Yeah, I think I I've just settled on a one. I'm I need to um, make sure that I'm not I'm even sure I'm going to have a gospel conversation and try to determine if indeed the person is saved. I'm not beginning to wonder if oh, this person is so. Um, Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm praying about it, but if, it, if the person is saved, and then I'll move on to another person. But. Well, good. Well, that's great. Well, I think uh, for us to have some gospel intentionality uh, is, is really important, and for us to just kind of be thinking along those lines and, and praying specifically for someone, uh, it's important. So I know that uh, I've been bringing this up when we do family worship uh, as a family, which we do. Uh, which we do in the evening, and I, I shared with the church, I think I shared last week about the fact that uh, we do it at the table. We, we, used, to, we used to do it kind of just in the living area, but that, that, that didn't work out so good because, you know, the couches and comfortable chairs and, you know, people want to lay around and, you know, just so we, we, we sit at a table, you know. So, uh, but anyways, yeah, and uh, we're reading the New Testament together. Uh, we're right now in the Gospel of Matthew, so we, we're actually... We started the plan a couple of days ahead. Give us our, give ourselves a little bit more of a, uh, some catch up opportunity if we if we were to miss a day. So we're we're doing that together. So far, it's going well. Uh, we're staying at it, and um, you know we want to encourage others to be intentional to to be in God's word as well. Okay, so we are in a series through Joshua, and we are looking specifically at Joshua chapters seven and eight. Seven and eight this coming Sunday. So, Joel, would you read for us the seventh chapter? We're just going to read the seventh chapter for right now. 
Sure. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people. And they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? to give us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan? O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the, the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up. Consecrate the people and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel. There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot be stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes. And the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous, an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near, tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of Zaharites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zaharites, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and two hundred shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in his tent with, silver, with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him 
took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold, and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and the donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had, and they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they, they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. Not the happiest of stories. In fact, not a happy story at all. Um, so what's, what's going on here? Uh, I, I, as I was reading, I think it seems like a reminder or a little bit of humble pie, as we like to say, a reminder that maybe they, after they've, you know, just conquered Jericho, uh, then they, they, they say, oh, we don't need the whole army of Israel. We'll just take a few men. And so it seems like maybe there was some dependence on themselves and their own strength. And then obviously we have the sin of Achan. And so in being humbled, we see the anger of God or the judgment of God on sin. And, and even maybe just a reminder to Israel, <laughs> God's judgment isn't just on sin of foreign nations. No, it's God judges sin as a whole. Yeah, you wonder. Um, so they only sent uh, a small number of men up against AI. It, it says uh, that they... Verse four says so. About three thousand men went up there from from the people, but but I wonder if if they if Joshua would have sent all of the men, would the result have been any different? For the the reason why they fled before the men of Ai was because the Lord's hand was against them because of sin. And it's it's interesting here. Um, you have this incredible victory at Jericho, where the Lord causes the walls to fall down and he gives his people success but something happened in jericho that we don't find out about until we get to this chapter and we're introduced to this character named Achan, and he saw something in jericho that he wanted in fact at verse 21 when he's confessing his wrongdoing to joshua he says when i saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak of shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them and took them. So as they're defeating Jericho, Achan sees treasure. He sees something he wants. He covets it, and he takes it, and it results in the loss of life. 36, about 36 of their men, the people of Israel, died. Yeah, definitely, you're right. I think it's a very humbling experience that uh, Joshua and the nation face at this point. Very humbling. Yes, and it was easy for them to think that their victory was complete and that um, you know, they, they could do anything they wanted to do. Uh, we get that way, I think, uh, after a while, and thinking God is going to, um, well, he's just going to automatically bless us because we ask him to. And we forget that blessing comes with obedience. And so uh, in, in chapter 6, God had said um, that everything in the city was devoted. And devoted to me, when, I, when you devote something, means that somebody you give something for them to keep. But 
The voted for the Lord meant that it was devoted to destruction. Um, but all the gold and silver in every in every vessel of bronze will go in the treasury of the Lord. That's chapter six, verse nineteen. So, what Achan took was something that was devoted to God, and that's why I think he used the word coveted because he means I wanted what wasn't mine because it was the Lord's. And the Lord said, "Hey, you know, um, you guys want to go about." Conquering land this way, well, you, you no dice. You're not going to be able to do it anymore. And I, I'll give you a, a, a very visual lesson and uh, how quickly things can turn around on you. And I, I think that that was just, it just blew people away. It says their hearts turned to water. <laughs> they, they all of a sudden lost complete faith in God and what he was going to do for them. Joshua even said, hey, you know, you, what's going to happen to your great name? We're going to get wiped out. And what's going to happen in your great name? And so the Lord, but I think that was that was it was that was kind of pretty uh, pretty harsh to say to God in one way, but another way it was very honest. I mean, what else could Joshua think? Things weren't going to go well if they could, got defeated by this little city. They weren't going to do anything, be able to do anything else. So I think he was totally thrown by it. And. Um, and the story to me is very interesting because it wasn't like a lot of people did it. It was like one guy did it and it caused Israel to be defeated. Well, you know, you have this idea of, of no man is an island, right? That the actions of Achan, they, they weren't, they, they didn't just impact him. They impacted the entire people of Israel because they were, they experienced military defeat against the people of Ai, about 36 of their men die. So here we see the idea that a man, Achan, chooses to take some of the devoted things. And it's interesting, look at verse 1. It says right there in verse 1 of chapter 7, the people of Israel broke faith, right? The people of Israel broke faith. And then look at verse 11. It says, Israel has sinned. Now, we may want to step back and say, well, hang on a second. It was Achan. Achan did it. He's the guy who did it. So why does it say Israel broke faith? Why does it say Israel has sinned? It's this idea, and I think the idea is like the idea of corporate solidarity, that Achan is a part of the covenant community. He is a part of the people of Israel, and so his actions— bring about consequences, not just upon himself, but upon the entire people. And so God looks at Achan's actions and says, Israel has sinned, right? So the consequences are devastating. And yes, Achan experiences consequences, as we see at the end of chapter 7, and it it's certainly devastating. But it's interesting that, you know, Achan's actions are not, um, do not bring about consequences to just him, but rather to the people of Israel as a whole. Right. And God wasn't going to let anything more happen, any more uh, blessings happen to them unless they uh, decided to do what he told them to do. And it was one thing to burn Jericho and you know, people they didn't know up with fire. It's another thing to burn their own people up with fire. Uh, and they were to, do, to kill everybody. Everybody and 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 stone them and 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 kill them with fire and that wasn't that must have been horrific to watch and it's it's 
It's, it's a side of God that we don't talk about a lot, this judgment of God. We talk about how kind and loving and how he went to the cross for us. But there's a side of God that doesn't want us to have, to have anything to do with sin. And I'm reminded of, of a passage in, in 1 Corinthians 5 where Paul is starting to get after them about sexual immorality. And he says, uh, I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother who is guilty of sexual immorality or greed. And, and then later on, and he says, God judges those on the outside. Purge the evil person from among you. I guess that in, in, even with the with coming of Christ and with the new Christian era, um, we need to take things seriously like sexual immorality. And, and it's very, very hard when you're dealing with it. Uh, it. When you start dealing with something like that, it causes divisions in the church. People start taking sides. People leave the church, not just the people who you were dealing with, but the other people that are associated with them. And so it's, it's not easy to do, and, and, and it's, it has to be done with a lot of prayer and a lot of, a lot of gentleness and love, but it has to be done, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it definitely, this, this passage teaches us a lesson about who God is. Like you say, so, uh, a, a side of God that we don't like to think of him as or, or talk about even, but I think it, it does. It shows the seriousness of how God took sin and disobedience and you know it's interesting you know with with Achan you know he he says at verse 20 truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel and this is what I did I mean he's caught red-handed right he he's the guy um the Lord knows everything right I mean the Lord knew who did it the Lord knew who the guilty party was uh, there's nothing hidden from God Right? God knows everything that we think, everything we say, everything we do. God knows it all. We, we can't hide anything from him. And in and, this passage, it's very clear that God knew exactly who it was. He was just doing an object lesson. He wanted people to see it, and he did this tribe by tribe, uh, tribe, and then by clan, and then by household. And So yes, it's a very clear example that God knew exactly who did it. Yes, God, God knew exactly. And um, it's interesting that Achan is, I mean, he, he receives judgment, you know? And I, I think in the New Testament of like Ananias and Sapphira. Remember Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts? I mean, when they were caught in their, their lies, dead. it wasn't like, <laughs> I mean, it was like immediate. And so, um, you know, that, that might be something we struggle with because we, you know, we talk about, grace and we talk about forgiveness and you know the lord will forgive our sin and you know if we confess our sin so you know i think there's kind of a you know we look at that and it's kind of jarring because it's like oh wow i mean sin has devastating consequences and yes our god is a gracious god yes our god is a forgiving god but we do see some instances in scripture where god brings judgment and sometimes he brings it Immediately. Yeah, and both the example you cited of Anas and Sapphira and this example here, the people admit their guilt, but uh, God does not forgive them in the sense that God does not forgive them at least for um, and, and, and not suffer consequences here on earth. I, I won't, uh, I don't know whether it applies to whether they ended up in heaven or hell, but um, lying to God, which Anas and Sapphira did. Uh, committing to doing something, taking an oath, uh, 
uh, brings judgment on you. And um, and I, it's and Paul also in in First Corinthians talks about uh, how some are sick among you because of the way you're treating other people at, at the communion table. So evidently, some sickness and illness that we have can be directly attributed to how we treat people in our church. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly, I mean, the, the example you use of Paul talking about the Lord's Supper, I think it's 1 Corinthians 11, I believe, or close to that area, um, where, yeah, I mean, I think he even says not only sick, but I think even some have died. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, sometimes sometimes we suffer uh, sickness and and, I guess, because of that reference, death, um, as a result of sin, but of course, that's not the case with everything. I mean, sometimes suffering is is not directly uh, the result of a specific sin. A great example is in John nine uh, with the man who was born blind, um, where Jesus denies that it was the man or his parents' uh, direct sin that resulted in this man being born blind. Right, but I think that if we do get illness and things don't go right in our in our household and in our church. Now, one of the things we want to do before we ask God to, to heal us, we might want to ask God, is there something that I need to confess? And am, I, am I not treating you right? Am I not, am I being disobedient in some way? Yeah. Because um, it's, it's, I, I think we need to be a little more scared of God and a little more less sure that he's going he's gonna to do what we, we tell him to do. I, I remember when I was, when I was, where I was going was I was just thinking of, uh, one, the contrast between God's grace that he shows to Rahab, the prostitute, and then Achan, the one who's taken it. And, and I think there, there's probably something to be said about how God deals with those who know better. And Achan clearly knew that he was not supposed to take anything and made the decision to do it anyways. And uh, I think James talks about that idea of to him that knoweth to do right and, and doesn't do it. To him, it is sin, and when you know when you know what you're supposed to do, and you don't do it, that's sin. It's it's disobedience, and and God doesn't even the with Ananias and Sapphira, they knew what they were doing, and they they somehow felt like they were deceiving God or that they were getting away with it, and God says, no, that's I know what you're doing. Yeah, and even you think about um, you know um, another example, like think about Peter. In the New Testament, in the Gospels, when you know Jesus says, "Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times," and Peter's like, "I'll never deny you," and sure enough, Peter does the very thing he says he wasn't going to do, and he denies him three times, and he still receives God's grace, which is a wonderful gift, and he becomes a prominent leader in the early church, preaching on the day of Pentecost major character in the book of acts so um yeah i mean god god is is gracious and god is kind and we see his grace in the in the example of rahab as you mentioned um we certainly see god's grace and his kindness and so um i i think that while we affirm and we cherish the fact that god is gracious i think that paul like you mentioned um we need to fear god you know, I mean, not fear God in the sense that God's going to go back on his promises or fear God that God's just going to get tired of us and throw us into hell. Not that kind of a fear, but a, 
but an, an awe of God, a respect for God, that, that, that God is a powerful, holy um, being. And, you know, that, that you know, we, we don't think, you know, lightly of God, but we have a respect and an awe for God such that we are fearful of the consequences of, of disobeying him. Yes, uh, and I think it's it's easy to get in a grumbling mood. Uh, at least I've, it's easy for me with with the pain that I have and I deal with on, on daily on a daily basis. And I regularly say to God, please forgive my grumbling because I'm getting upset. I'm getting, uh, I really don't want to deal with it anymore. And this is what you've asked me to put up with. And I think when we get in a situation where things aren't working out right, whether it's it's it's, it's our physical or uh, you know illness, or whether it's uh, our family or or finances, and we get upset about it and we start getting uh, depressed, and I think we have to be very careful because that's that is grumbling, and and God does not want us to grumble; He wants us to trust Him. And when when the children of Israel grumbled, a lot of bad things happened to them. Plagues hit them. Uh, got wiped out. They, they when they got, got upset at Moses, they, they leprosy hit them. Uh, serpents came and, and started biting them. So, uh, and uh, and it says in, in Corinthians that those all the things that happened in children of Israel are to examples to us. I, I think God does it to us too. I don't think we're immune from that just because we happen to live in 2020. Going through this book and, and teaching this and having this sermon and. And challenging us to obey is an important thing to do. And, and we don't just go through and do the motions and say, oh, yeah, God, I'm doing what you want me to do. And then we don't do it. Oh, yeah, God, I, 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 I like what I have, but I wish I had a lot more. And I would like to have that car over there. Covetousness, right? Doesn't work. Doesn't work in God's eyes. Well, and just go back to Joshua chapter 1, what the Lord said to Joshua. He said in verse 7, he says, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. So God's saying, don't turn to the right hand, don't turn to the left. In other words, don't turn away from my word. Don't turn away from doing things the way I've told you to do things, that you may have good success wherever you go. And then he says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. So the prosperity and the success was contingent upon them doing God's word, right? And so God's blessing is attached to obedience, not to disobedience. And so here we see that it's interesting how the Lord puts it. He says it at verse number 12. He says, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. So it's interesting. The Lord who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you says, I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. So in other words, we can't just do things however we want. We can't live by our own rules without regard for God. We have to live by God's design, and we have to do things God's way if we want to receive God's blessing and, and we want God's approval. And of course, 
it's one thing to say that, and and of course, if it was up to us to be obedient, and we had to do it on our own, we we won't achieve the blessings of God. Thank God for His salvation, His daily working of grace in our lives, where He enables us to do that, if we choose to be obedient. And it and the question keeps coming up when God points out something to you that you want to do, then it's time to do it, not to wait and to respond in obedience. Not easy to do, but it's easy to do it if you're if you're asking God for help and you're confessing your sins. I, I like I like the way that um, this, the story ends, which ends in chapter 8, because you know, as soon as they do this and they do what they're supposed to do, and then they start going back and doing the right thing, like asking God for help before they take off and start um, fight, going back to AI and they conquer AI as the Lord told them to do it. And and then they're able to renew their covenant. At the end of chapter 8, they're renewing the covenant, which they were told to do by Moses when they came to the land. So evidently that they had, they had a task to do that they hadn't finished yet. So when they got through conquering AI, they needed to go on to this Mount Ebal, which I, he was, they were told to do in Deuteronomy, and they were to renew their covenant with God as the people of God, reading reading the book of the law. And it, I think that's, a, that's an interesting thing for us to do. When we see ourselves not doing right, then we need to go back and renew our covenant with God and do a, a visible action that people can see and understand. If if what if our sin is public, then we should be at public in our renewal, and our confession and our renewal. I think this passage is is definitely a, a admonishment or a reminder to us to be to live lives of confession, to be con constantly confessing our sins and and checking our hearts, evaluating where our relationship with God is. It, we can't just we we can't just take the fact that we've been saved or. The promises that God has given us is, okay, well, that means our life's going to be great or we're just going to go on without sitting. No, our our lives must be ones of continual evaluation and, and confession. And uh, because we it's it's that in that moment when we become confident in how we're living or or satisfied, maybe that really that's when we we start living habits of, of sinfulness and, and think we're okay and blinded to our sin and. And we can't let that happen. And I think it seems like it seems like in the where this story comes up, you know, they have just conquered Jericho. They haven't conquered, you know, there's they're working on and conquering Canaan. And God seems to remind them, hey, remember, remember yeah, this idea of obedience. Remember that this is a relationship. This is an ongoing thing. It's not just a, a, a given thing. And. And, and like you said, it, he doesn't. The story doesn't end here, where God says, "All right, you guys messed up. You're not getting the land anymore." No, he says, "All right, confess it, make it right, and then go back and and defeat AI." And so, as we look at our church and what we're trying to do, you know, we have some plans. We want to go forward with uh, growth, and we want to go forward with reaching people in our community, and we want to go forward with our budget. I think that. That is that is well, and I see it, and I like what you do, Pastor Luke. I think as well to uh, challenge people in the congregation to turn away from sin. If they are dealing with sin in their life, turn away from it, because we need everybody that's sitting there listening to us and being part of our church to do it with us. 
we can't just have some of us do it, not the top 10%, not the pastors, right? If we're going to make disciples, which we, as you said, we, we can't do it on our own, but we're going to need everybody in the church to do it, then everyone who's doing it needs to also be walking with God and being obedient. Just talking to people about the gospel conversation won't do anything anybody any good if they if, if you're not living in obedience. And I think it is it it is it's a corporate thing it's a group thing just like you were mentioning before talking about AI, and God says it was Israel's sin not just or Achan it was Israel's sin not just Achan's sin and it does emphasize that idea of a group and not just individuals, and I think that applies directly to the church now as we live as New Testament believers we ought to have an attitude of togetherism and we're in this together and we ought to be checking up on each other and uh, confessing sins with one another which i think is certainly something we don't like to do we don't like to we don't like to confess our sins it's one thing to admit before god but uh, we don't like to we don't like to admit before other people that we're sinful and i think it's healthy to to do that as long as we're you know we're we're not just having a pity party and say oh i'm this all no as we're we're confessing so that we can make right and move on and, and better one another. But something else at the end of this eighth chapter where you have Joshua building an altar and writing on stones the, a copy of the Law of Moses. And then at verse 34, it says he read all the words of the law the blessing and the curse, right? Because there was blessing that followed obedience. There were curses that followed disobedience. So it says, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel. And notice who this includes, the women and the little ones, and the sojourners who lived among them. So this is the entire community. This is the entire people of Israel. It's not just the men. It includes the women. It includes the children. It includes the sojourners who lived among them. So the entire um, nation, and, and also um, Rahab would have been included in this, right? Rahab and her family? That's right. So here... The, the book of the law, the law of the Lord, is read in their presence. And, you know, as we think about, I mean, it's important that we are exposing ourselves to God's word, that we're being reminded of how God would have us to live, how God would have us to, to act. And it's not some, it's, it's all of us. It's, it's our entire multi-generational uh, church family that, that needs to be exposed to God's truth. And we need to be challenged to live by God's truth. Yeah, it's interesting, too, just the the constant, like that idea of reminders that they put in. That there are multiple times where they built an altar. When they cross Jordan, they build an altar of stones. When they defeat Ai, they build an altar of stones, which I think is is just a recognition of of God's working in their their life and stuff. And, and that just seems to be a theme throughout the old Testament, that idea of reminder and don't forget, don't let your children forget. Don't keep passing this on. Keep recognizing that this is God's work at hand in your life. And, 
just a recognition of that, which I think is interesting. Just goes to say how, how easily it is to forget. <laughs> how easily we do move on and forget God's work in, in our lives. And the story of Israel, the nation that God devoted to himself and that were to vote themselves to the Lord, the story of Israel is continually where they forgot. They kept forgetting and forgetting and forgetting. And so they were hauled off to Babylon and brought back, and they weren't that great a nation anymore. And then people took over, started ruling them, and the Romans ruled them. And when Jesus came, they forgot. They forgot who the real Messiah was. They thought it was going to be something else. Somebody that was going to be their conqueror, the, their person, to uh, save them and their system. And he said, no, your system is falling apart. You guys are a bunch of hypocrites. Your heart isn't right. It's easy to think that we're, we're God's people, and so he's going to take care of us, and he's going to make things work out for us. And I think we should look at the other way. I think we should be grateful for what he's doing for us and to say, God, whatever comes our way, help me to bear it. Help me to... Help me to be true to you. I'm reminded today with uh, banks. I was I've been dealing with banks and and uh, accounts not being on, you know uh, available and on the internet and and uh, closing people are going to close your accounts and I'm saying, whoa, what is going on here? And I'm reminded I can't put my trust in in the money in the in the, in the, in the, on the ether, in the Ethernet. You know on the that money is just, it can be here and gone tomorrow, and God put it there for to, to provide for me, but I can't put my faith in that. It's, it's very ephemeral. I have to have my faith in God and be willing to obey Him no matter what happens to me. And so I, that's my prayer. I pray that, and I pray for forgiveness for hanging on tightly to things that are going to, you know, they can go away real, very, very fast. A stock market of ours can crash any moment, for instance. Any moment. And the last time it crashed, it, dro it dropped by half value. So think about that, what happens if your stock market crashes and what your value is. Well, you think you're rich, all of a sudden you're not rich anymore. Yeah, just uh, that's what kind of what uh, the speaker was talking about at FCA today. He, he was talking about there's two motivators in our life, either fear or faith. And fear, fear. we ask the question, what if? We live by, what if this happens? What if this happens? And we're always constantly fearful of, like you're talking about, the stock market or the economy or people or whatever it may be. But but faith, faith, we ask, or faith, we say, even if, even if this happens, I'm still going to do this. And he used, he used the example of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I believe, uh, that didn't bow down to the the thing and, and the king says you know why why aren't you bound down and he said you know what's going to happen if you don't if this happens and and what god is going to save you and they said well we believe that god is going to save us but even if he doesn't save us we're still gonna we're still not going to bow down and i thought that was a, that's that was a good challenge and and and, and kind of what you're saying there is <laughs> faith our faith our confidence if it's in god it says no matter what happens i believe that god is is true and faithful to me because whatever God wants to happen to us is much better than anything we think we need to have. Yeah. Much better. So as we try to take this text and bridge it to the gospel, you look at somebody like Achan, and Achan, he sinned. He 
did not do what was right. He did not do what was good. He did not do what was proper. He took what he should not have taken, and he suffered the consequences. He got what he deserved, correct? And when we look at our own lives, the Bible's conclusion is that we are sinners. We deserve judgment. The wages for sin is death. But what does the gospel tell us? The gospel tells us that even when we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that, that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And that's the beautiful thing about the gospel is God doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us his grace. He gives us his mercy. And it's received through faith. And so I think that you know, we, when we look at the, 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 the picture of God we find in our Bible, we see a God who's incredibly gracious, incredibly loving, not a God who overlooks sin, not a God who says sin isn't a big deal, but a God who shows us just how big of a deal sin is by sending his son Jesus to take that sin, to die for that sin, to take his wrath for, for our sin. And so we see the justice of God in the death of Christ, but we also see the incredible love and grace of God in the death of his son, Jesus. And so we can give thanks to God for his undeserved salvation and his undeserved kindness um, that he has given to us through his son, Jesus. Yeah, and I think that's why it's so important that we, we constantly have the gospel on our minds and are reminding ourselves of that because that's what drives us. Forward. And it's both those. It's the grace that gives us the confidence to move forward, but it's the understanding of God's judgment and hatred of sin that keeps us from sin and says, and if we understand the gospel, our desire is to stay from that, to want to desire what God desires, not what we desire. And, and I think that's just, it's just central to our mind. It has to be part of our mindset. <laughs> And so when Jesus says to come to me, those who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, um, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and only in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. What I see in that is if we remember when to be obedient is the easiest thing in the world to do, it brings us rest, not doing what God wants us to do in our lives, makes everything hard. So um, that's the grace that God brings to us in our lives. So if we trample on the grace of God and we do go ahead and do whatever we want to do and say, I'm going to do whatever sin it is and I don't care what happens to me, we just made our life really, really hard. And, and so, yes, I think that we can, in the gospel message, we can talk about the, uh, heaven and hell and, and sin and death, but I think we also can point to things that go on in our lives on a daily basis when we have a choice between the two. And when things get really hard, we need to ask ourselves, where am I in this? Am I, am I following God? Do I have his yoke? Probably not. The reason I can't go through this hard time is because I don't, I'm not trusting him. I've disobeyed him. I'm not doing what he wants me to do. Well, gentlemen, I appreciate your time as we've looked at Joshua chapters 7 and 8, and we will look at this further as we gather for worship this Sunday at 9 o'clock and 1030 with our church family. 
So thank you for your, for your time. Listeners, thank you for tuning in today to our first NSP podcast.